Church family, today we are going to embark on a new journey in God's Word. Um, and uh, it's a journey through the book of the Bible that's entitled The Letter of Paul to the Ephesians. The Letter of Paul to the Ephesians. So if you want to go ahead and turn to that book uh, of the Bible, to Ephesians, um, in, uh, in your copy of God's Word, go ahead and do that. Um, I would encourage you to um, just make sure that you've got your Bibles here and you're um, just enjoying following along in God's Word and um, as we study through. Uh, the letter to the Ephesians is found in the New Testament section of the Bible, which means it was written after the birth, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, the promised Savior. So we're in the, in the New Testament. Um, uh, I know your, your muscle memory and your fingers probably taking you right to the book of Genesis today, uh, but uh, we'll have to retrain uh, muscle memory and I will be turning to the book of Ephesians um, for the next little while. The title of our message today is The Church in Christ, The Church in Christ. And my goal today for us is twofold. Uh, first, I want uh, to give us a brief reminder of the best approach to studying God's Word, to studying the Bible, and therefore what I think is the best approach to um, preaching God's Word. And then second, I want to walk us through an overview of the book, or really technically the letter, to the Ephesians. Um, so, as you're kind of looking at Ephesians, kind of making sure you find it there in your Bible, let me give you a quick reminder of how we ought to study the Bible. And this is going to be a, a brief reminder. There's a whole lot we could talk about here, but um, I hope this will just help, just remind us um, and, uh, of some, of some um, Bible study um, and then therefore some preaching um, uh, uh, thoughts that we need to have. First, the Bible is God's Word. The Bible is God's Word. All of it is God's Word. And so we ought to read it and study it in a way that provides us the best opportunity to understand accurately what it says. It is God's Word. Of all the books we could ever read, the, de the one that we definitely don't want to get wrong as we read it and study it and try to understand what it says is the book that God wrote. All right, that's the one that we want, to, we want to give the most attention to, even in the way that we read it and study it. So it matters how we study God's Word, ultimately, because it is the Word of God. And then secondly, with, with only a couple of exceptions, perhaps, the books of the Bible ought to always be studied from beginning to end. And when we have the opportunity to do that, we ought to study them uh, from beginning to end. There's a couple of, of maybe some exceptions. For instance, the book of Proverbs. It, it really is a collection of, of sayings. It's still good to read and study it from beginning to end, but it's also one that you can kind of open up and you can read kind of anywhere in there. And, um, and, and for the most part, you're not going to take things out of context. Um, but other than that, for pretty much every book of the Bible, we want to go from beginning to end when we have the opportunity to do so. Each book of the Bible is not a random collection of sentences or verses, but they are complete units of thought. Just like any, pretty much any book that we would read. You don't pick up a book to start reading it and flip to the middle of it, read a few pages, flip to the beginning, read a few pages, flip to the end, read a few pages, and then start filling in all the gaps in between. We don't, we don't read books that way, and so we shouldn't read the books of the Bible that way. 
Um, another way to think about it is these, these letters or these books of the Bible have a certain flow. They're making certain arguments or they're, they're telling a certain story or sometimes they're doing both. They're telling a story and making certain arguments and teaching certain truths all at the same time, which means that to understand what the author is saying at any particular point in that book, you need to understand what he said before, what he said after, and how that fits into the the whole story, that whole picture of that particular book of the Bible, how it relates to the whole. And so we shouldn't study the verses in a book of the Bible in a random order or just kind of open it up and, hey, I'm just going to study Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, and then I'll study Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, and then I'll study Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If that's how we study the Bible, um, there's going to be some, some danger there, and I'll talk about that in just a, a moment. So we want to study the verses, um, the sentences in the order in which they've been re- written, always relating the parts of that particular book to the whole. And I think this is going to give us the best opportunity. Remember I said earlier, we want, to, we want to, because it's God's Word, we want to study in such a way that gives ourselves the best opportunity to understand accurately what God's Word says. And I think this method will, will provide us the best um, the Best opportunity to say, what is it that God has said? What does it mean? What did it mean then? And therefore, what does it mean now? Because the meaning of God's word never changes. And so that leads to the method of preaching, which I think is best. And you've heard me talk about this from time to time. In fact, we've, we've spent some time um, in the past kind of going into detail on, 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 on this. But the method of preaching that is best is expository preaching. Expository preaching. Expository preaching is a method of preaching in which the goal is to start with the text, meaning the text of Scripture, and then let the text determine the meaning of the message, the meaning of the sermon. Not to come to the text with our own meaning and then just try to find verses that try to support whatever it is that we want to say that day. And since the best way to understand a particular passage is to study it in the context of the whole book, the best way, not not the only way, but the best way to preach expository sermons is to start at the beginning of a book and work our way through that book in the order that God inspired it and the human author wrote it. And we've recently just done that with Genesis, and we started at the beginning of Genesis, and we, we slowly worked our way all the way through, and, and um, I, the Lord taught me so much, and, and I've just worked in my heart so many ways through that, and I pray that He did yours as well. And so that's what we want to do with the book of, uh, of Ephesians. There are many benefits of this method of preaching and a Bible study of, of, of starting at the beginning of a book and working our way to the, through the end of the book. We could, I could spend the rest of our time today listing out benefits of that. I'm not going to do that. I want to give you one, okay? I just want to give you one, which I think is perhaps the most important benefit of, of expository preaching and studying through a book of the Bible, whether it's me standing here preaching or, 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 or just reading. You're reading the Bible on your own. You're studying the Bible on your own, reading it with your family. Um, let me give you one of the the most important benefits. Expositional preaching through a book of the Bible from start to finish is the best way to safeguard ourselves, and many of you know what I'm about to say, to safeguard ourselves from the danger of taking a verse of the Bible or a passage from the Bible out of context. Out of context. When we take Scripture out of context, we are in danger of misinterpreting God's Word, which in addition to simply just dishonoring God whenever we misinterpret God's Word, it also can lead to false teaching, sinful living, and a failure to see Jesus as the greatest treasure that God's Word is intended to lead us to. 
We'll make it mean all sorts of things. We'll make it fit our own agenda. We'll make it um, agree with us and our opinion on things. And when we take God's word out of context, there's just so much danger in that. And so how do you make sure you don't take something out of context? You make sure you see what came before and you see what came after. and And you're studying that particular verse in light of everything else that is there. So that's just a quick reminder of why I began the sermon saying that we're going to embark today on a journey through uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The plan is to start at the beginning, work our way through to the end with the humble and eager expectation. Please hear this. I'm not just saying words. I, I mean this with a humble and eager expectation that the Holy Spirit of God will help us accurately understand and joyfully apply God's Word to our lives. That ought to be our desire every time we come to the Word. Whether it's gathered with our church family, with our families at home, individually with God's Word. That we have this this eager, humble expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to help us understand these words and help us joyfully apply God's Word to our hearts and our lives. Okay, that was the first thing that I want to do in the sermon today. The second, um, the, the second thing is to walk us through an overview of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, if we want to kind of go ahead and say, hey, what's, what's the big picture here in Ephesians? So that as we start journeying through, we're going ahead and making sure we're kind of taking the, the verses that come in their context. Now, I want to give us this overview in three parts. Um, first, I'm going to give you a summary statement and a brief kind of kind of explanation of this summary statement for the book of Ephesians. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to read the letter. And that's really going to be the, one of the main things we do today. It's going to be a little bit different sermon. Um, and, uh, and then at the end, I'm going to give you some statements that I hope will kind of help you see the lay of the land in the book of Ephesians and that you can kind of take home with you. And as you're preparing to walk through this book together... Um, you can kind of read ahead this week, use these statements to kind of guide your thoughts, um, and so you can just go ahead and be making sense of the whole book as we then dive into the individual parts. Okay, so here's my best shot at a summary sentence for the book of Ephesians. It's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to take, take six chapters and put them in one sentence, but it's my best shot. By the time we finish studying through the book of Ephesians, I will, I'll probably come back to this, in, at least in my mind, and go, I could have made that a little bit better, just because I'll know more about Ephesians as, as we study through. But here's my best shot. Um, here you go. It's kind of long, but again, I'm trying to put a lot into one sentence. God's sovereign plan of salvation is centered upon Jesus Christ and results in a people called the church who have been saved from sin, are united in love, and live in holiness for the praise of His glory. That's my best attempt to put all of Ephesians into one sentence. Okay, so I'll read that again. God's sovereign plan of salvation is centered upon Jesus Christ and results in a people called the church who have been saved from sin, are united in love, and live in holiness for the praise of His glory. Now, let me briefly walk you through that statement as you're either um, writing that down or if you want to take a picture of it, you you can do that, um, however you want to get that. I know that's a lot to to, to write down. Um, First, in Ephesians, we get, in my opinion, some of the most incredible descriptions of God's plan of salvation that we see anywhere in all of Scripture. I mean, we just get some awesome descriptions of God's salvation plan uh, in the book of Ephesians. 
Um, what we see here is, as we look at this salvation plan is that these descriptions point very clearly to the truth that salvation is definitely a result of God's sovereign planning and not a result of God making some spontaneous decision to, to save us or not as a result of us talking God into doing something that otherwise he, he didn't really want to do. What we see is God, salvation is under God's sovereign control from beginning to end, and it is the only hope for sinners, and praise God that that is true about God's salvation plan. The second, as we kind of, you kind of see this summary statement, is that all salvation centers upon Jesus Christ. All of salvation centers upon Jesus Christ. As you're reading through, and I would encourage you, read through the whole book, uh, maybe a couple of times this week as we, as we kind of get going into, uh, into Ephesians. Um, one of the phrases that I want you to make note of is the phrase, in Christ, or in the Lord. And the word Lord is most of the time used by Paul to refer to Jesus. So in Christ, in the Lord, sometimes it's just in whom, but the whom is talking about Jesus. In fact, those kind of phrases occur 38 times in the letter to the Ephesians. From beginning to end, Jesus is exalted as supreme over all. Without Jesus, there is no salvation. But in Christ, God's plan is fully accomplished. In Christ, God's plan is fully accomplished, and all who are in Christ, you're going to see this word used, are lavished with the riches of God's grace and glory. But it's all in Christ. None of, none of that is possible apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, Ephesians speaks often and in magnificent language of the church, the people of God called the church we learn much about the church in this letter and how the church is not merely an optional organization for God's people, but it is God's people. In other words, to be in Christ is to belong to the people of God called the church. We see the word church used nine times throughout these six chapters. The church is described in really incredible imagery. Um, we'll see it called the body of Christ, the temple of God, and we'll see the church described as the bride of Christ. So the church is a very important part here in Ephesians. Fourth, and this is kind of in a way, finishing out some of these final statements in the, in the, um, in the main idea statement that I gave you. Um, those who belong to the church are people who have been saved from sin, are people who are united in love, and are people who live in holiness. And we'll walk through those as they come in the text. And then fifth and finally, all of this is ultimately for the eternal glory of God. If there is one thing that just just is being, if I could say it this way, shouted out from the, from the pages of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It is the eternal glory of God as he accomplishes his plan of salvation through his son Jesus to save his people, the church, uniting them in love and, and leading them to live holy lives on our way to his eternal glory forever and ever in him, with him in the new heavens and the new earth. The manifold wisdom of God, glorious grace. They don't merely make this grand plan of salvation possible, but they ensure that it will be accomplished. And God gets all the glory. Okay, so that's the summary. Now, 
We do something we don't do every week, and um, we're going to read for several minutes. And I want us to read the, the letter to the Ephesians. When this letter was first written, um, it, Paul would have written it. He wrote it from prison, and, um, and then he sent it with uh, a trusted friend, and uh, we'll probably learn who that friend is, and then look for his name in, the, in this letter. And then he would have shown up in Ephesus, and, and the church would have been there, and they wouldn't have said, hey, hey, um, somebody, somebody's here with a letter from Paul. Um, okay, let's read two verses, and then let's go home, and tomorrow we'll come back and read two more verses. They would have said, they would have said oh, we got a letter from Paul. Let's read it. And somebody, perhaps the one who delivered the letter, um, or maybe one of the elders in the church, would have read the letter from start to finish, and uh, just like we would read any letter. And, uh, and the church would have probably been hanging on every word. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul, uh, who's in prison for his faith. And we're getting to hear from him, and he's written to us. And so we're going to take just a few minutes today, and um, I'm going to read the, the letter to the Ephesians. Now, here's, you got two options here, okay? Um, there's a third option, but I don't recommend it. That's just tuning it out, okay? So let's not do that. Uh, two options. One, you can follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read, or just sit and listen. You can just sit and listen. That's okay, okay? Um, most of the time, I want you to follow along in your copy. Uh, but, and you're welcome to do that, or you sit and listen and pretend, pretend as if Paul is preaching a sermon to you today. Because Ephesians really, in a way, kind of reads like a sermon. It kind of it flows somewhat like a sermon, even though it's a letter. And, um, and so let's just enjoy God's Word. And in the end, I'm going to give you a few statements, and I'm not going to talk a lot about them. I'm just going to kind of give them to you and uh, for you to kind of take home with you and, um, a- as you study through this letter. So here we go. Are you ready? Oh, God's Word is so good. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason... 
Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead, in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the, circumc- called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, stru- structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who, who, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended to the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the wind and carried about by, uh, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. 
For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, 
Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this is the word of God. It is an incredible letter. It is the very Word of God. And church family, I cannot wait to study through this letter with you. In the final part of our overview, I want to give you some take-home statements. If you're going to jot these down, um, write fast, okay? Because I'm not going to say much, too much in between them. Um, and, uh, and so jot them down if you can. Um, and uh, we'll kind of see a little bit of the lay of the land. All right, you ready? A little bit of lay of the land, because that's a lot, right? It's a lot to take in. How do we think through this? What are, some, what are some helps that can help me kind of not be overwhelmed by a, a bunch of words on, on a page, but kind of see a flow here to uh, Paul's letter? Here you go. You ready? In Christ, number one, God saves the church by His grace. In Christ, God saves the church by His grace. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, verse 10. It's basically what chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2 are about. In Christ, God saves the church by His grace. In verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1, we get an explanation of God's plan of salvation in the form of a doxology. That's a praise to God. It's a praise to the triune God. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And this is followed by a prayer Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers in verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1. And this prayer highlights our need to grow in the knowledge of Christ. And it includes a meditation upon the supremacy of Christ as head of the church. And then we get into chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And Paul kind of starts over with another explanation of the gospel. But in this explanation, he highlights um, not just God's sovereign plan as much as the movement of sinners from death to life. And all of this is a work of God's grace. Chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Chapter 1, verse 7, according to the riches of His grace. Chapter 2, verse 5 and 8, by grace you have been saved. So the first thing that we see here is in Christ, God saves the church by His grace. Let me give you a second statement. In Christ, God reconciles the church through the cross. God reconciles the church through the cross. And if you're jotting these down, jot down the scripture references too. So you can kind of, as you go through, you can kind of see um, where these um, kind of main points are at in, in the text. In Christ, God reconciles the church through the cross. Now, salvation includes reconciliation. What's reconciliation? It's where two, two people or two parties that have been separated, there's been a break in their relationship. Um, they're really enemies of one another in some way, have been brought back together. That's what it means to be reconciled. There's a separation that needs to be removed. And so this reconciliation is twofold. First, we have to be reconciled to God. And second, we have to be reconciled to one another. Listen, if you're here today and, 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 and you, you are, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, then there's one thing that God says is true about you. There's lots of things God says, but one of those things that God says is true about you is this, is that you have a broken relationship with God and you need to be reconciled back to the God who made you. It's the greatest and deepest need in your life. But not only do we need to be reconciled to God, we need to be reconciled to one another. Sin destroys our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. And so if God is going to save for himself a people who live together for his glory, then he's going to have to fix the relationship between himself and those people and between those people and other people. And he does this through specifically the death of Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. The death of Jesus destroys the sin that separates us from God and separates us from one another. Notice just quickly chapter 2 verse 16. And he might reconcile us both to one God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's reconciliation to God, reconciliation to one another through the cross, all there in one verse. So chapter 2, verse 11 through 21 describes this reconciliation and the new people created through the cross. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, and it's kind of a little interesting here, Paul starts to pray for the church that they would grow in love, but he then gets sidetracked for a minute in verses 2 through 13. What does he get sidetracked by? his imprisonment. And he's sidetracked by that because he wants them to understand why he was in prison, which actually is very much connected to God's plan of reconciling very different people into one church in Christ. He's going to say, that's actually why I'm in prison um, it, it, there. And so then he finally gets to the prayer for understanding the love of Christ in chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, the rest of chapter 3. And then talk of reconciliation and love leads us to the third statement. In Christ, God grows the church in loving unity. I almost said humility, which would be true as well, but we're going to use the word unity. 
In Christ, God grows the church in loving unity. This is chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. Now, chapter 4 marks a really big transition in the letter. Chapters 1 through 3 deal primarily with what we need to know and believe. And chapters 4 through 6 deal primarily with how we ought to live in light of what we should know and believe. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. Okay, now we're not talking about what we know, but we're talking about how we live. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's all of chapter 1 through 3. First, we're to walk in unity, and it is a unity that is marked by love. Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 calls believers to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And as we grow as God's people, we are to grow in love. Go to the end of that section, chapter 4, verse 16. It ends, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In fact, love is a main theme all throughout this letter. The word love is used in various forms 20 times throughout these six chapters. Maybe we could kind of summarize it this way. Those who have been shown such a great love by God are to show great love for one another. All right, statement number four. In Christ, God transforms the church to holy living. In Christ, God transforms the church to holy living. We see this in chapter 4, verse 17, through chapter 6, verse 9. Most of the rest of the letter is really focused on living out these new lives that we have been given in Christ. And because we've already been called to unity and love, we'll see that a lot of the application of this call to live how God has saved us to live, we live out among brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, If you notice chapter 4, verse 22, and then verse 24, we're to put off the old self, and we're to put on the new self. Put off the old self, put on the new self. Put off the old self, put on the new self. And we can see lots of examples of how we do that. The word walk, as you maybe study through and read through, circle, underline the word walk throughout the letter to the Ephesians. You'll see it, chapter 2, verse 10. Um, you'll see it, chapter 4, uh, verse 1. And then you'll see it several times in this section on how we are to live. And so we'll just, let me just kind of summarize for you. In chapter 4, verse 17 through 32, we're called to walk in holiness. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, we're called to walk in love. In chapter 5, verse 7 through 14, we're called to walk in light. And in chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, we're called to walk in wisdom. Walk in holiness, love, light, and wisdom. And then we learn how this new life in Christ applies to certain relationships in our lives. The gospel gets applied to wives and to husbands in chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. It gets applied to children and parents, specifically fathers, in verses, chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. And then the gospel gets applied to servants and their masters in chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. Now truly, the gospel of Jesus does impact every area of our lives. And that's one of the points of this letter. That as we understand the magnificence of the gospel, we don't just see it as great truths to learn and know in our minds, but we see it as truths to believe and then that change our lives on a day-to-day basis. In Christ, God transforms us to look like the one whose image we bear, the one who is holy in all of his ways. And let me give you statement number five. In Christ, you see a, you see a theme here? In Christ, right? In Christ, God preserves the church with supernatural strength. God preserves the church with supernatural strength. And we see this in the final section of chapter 6, 
there in verses 10 through 24. The letter ends with a call to stand firm. We are in a spiritual battle, church, pursuing unity and love and holiness, walking in light and in wisdom will not be easy. Why? Because we have an enemy. But praise God, God preserves us by providing us a strength that comes from Him. In chapter 6, verse 10 through 20, we're called to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We are reminded to take up spiritual armor. And as we study that spiritual armor, we'll see that this armor really belongs to Jesus. It is a gift to us from Him. It is in Christ that we have the spiritual armor. And we see that as we do, as this letter closes, we can boldly engage in God's mission. And then the letter does close with a final encouragement of grace and peace and love, faith, all of those glorious truths there in verses 21 through 24. Church, this is truly a glorious letter. It is a treasure chest of the riches of Christ. And so as we embark on this journey through Ephesians, I encourage you to prioritize being here. Come hungry for God's Word, eager to learn and to grow. Come humbly, ready to be challenged, convicted, and encouraged by God's Word. Read through Ephesians on your own. I think those who get the most out of, uh, of, of a, a sermon are those who have in the text for themselves, who come with that text on their mind. And, um, and so read the book over and over. Read the sections, read the parts, read the verses, read the whole. Pick out some verses as we go along and memorize. Memorize some of these verses. Memorize as much of the book as you can, uh, but at least pick out some verses. Um, maybe if you want to just kind of start easily, easy, pick out one verse from each chapter. Or maybe pick out one verse from each section of, of, of this uh, book or, or Memorize whole, whole passages of Scripture. I would, if you want to memorize a whole passage of Scripture, chapter 1, verse 3 through 14 would be an incredible passage to memorize, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Really any of it, okay? I'm kind of, I'm picking, I'm, it's like I'm, I'm picking which cookie is the best, and I like all cookies, right? Um, and so it, it's, it's pick, pick something. But I would, if you're just going to memorize one passage, Try Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, or chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. Um, they're just glorious passages of Scripture that just, in an incredible way, remind us of God's plan of salvation and our need for Jesus and all that God has done for us in Christ. And church, the main goal must be that as we read and study God's Word, we learn to treasure Christ above all. We learn to treasure Jesus above all. My prayer is that as we walk through this book, just like we would with, my prayer would be for any book of God's Word, that God's going to draw lost people to trust in Jesus for salvation. Would you make that your prayer, church? That is, that is we work through this book together, that, that those who are here that haven't trusted in Jesus, that God would, God would use the preaching of His Word and the study of, of, of this book of God's Word, that there would be people even here that, that would look back one day and say, you know, it was, it was in that book called Ephesians that Paul wrote to, to that, that, that area of the country many, many years ago. God used those words, that letter, to draw me to faith in Christ. Would you pray for the lost to be saved? Would you pray for yourself that God would humble your heart, that you would come ready to learn? Maybe, maybe today, as we read from God's Word, which 
explains the gospel and is the power of God's salvation for those who believe, you realize that you need Jesus. That when we read words like, and you were dead in your sins, you realize that was you. When we read words like, but God who is rich in mercy, you said, I need that. And when we read words that said, for by grace you are saved through faith, it's not anything that you do, but it is the work of God. That you said, I need to stop trying to save myself, but I need Jesus to save me. I want to enjoy the glorious riches of the grace of Christ. Maybe that's you today. And you don't need to wait until we get to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, or Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Today, you need to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. But you can do that by confessing your sin to Christ and asking, asking Him to save you because of what He did on the cross. Maybe that's your response today. Church family, May we learn to treasure Christ. May we enjoy the glorious riches of His grace. And may it change how we live our lives. I'm going to ask you to look at the screen for a moment. I want us to close with the prayer that Paul prays. Actually, it's the last two lines of his prayer that he prays at the end of chapter 3. And I want us to read these verses together, okay? Let this be our prayer together. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Thank You that we know that it is Your very Word. Paul wrote it. You inspired every word. And it is just as true today as it was then. And Father, it contains the message of Your glory, of the Gospel of Jesus, and of how You have worked throughout um, history from before the foundations of the world and how you are continuing to work and how you will continue to work on into the future to raise up your people to be worshipers of you, all centered in Christ. Father, would you open up our hearts and minds to receive the truth of your word as we go home and as we read and as we study, not just this letter, but all of your word. Lord, as we come back together and, 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 and as we study through this book, Lord, would you teach us and just make us hungry, Lord, no matter how long we've been a Christian, Lord, just make us, make us hungry for your word, that we just want to keep loving your word so that we can love you better and treasure Christ more so that your Holy Spirit can take your word and, 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 and change our lives so that we can look more and more like Jesus so that we'll be bold to proclaim the gospel just as Paul was bold to proclaim that glory gospel of grace. Father, we know that all of this is only true because, because Jesus laid down His life on the cross for us. So God, as we close today, God, we just want to reflect 
on the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Lord, it is at the heart of your plan of salvation. It's at the heart of your word. Lord, it needs to be the heart of our lives. Christ took our sin upon himself and in exchange has given us his righteousness. And Lord, we praise you for the gospel. Lord, if there's someone who needs to trust in Christ, Lord, I pray that even now, right now, if they haven't already, that they would call out to you for salvation. Repenting of their sin and believing in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.